they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Wow, the two of us. I love it. Go ahead, Mary. Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday. Um, this is March 10th. So welcome, and we're in Lent. This is the end of the second week of Lent. So let's continue to um, strive to empty ourselves of everything that is not of God. But then, again, it's not just to empty ourselves to empty ourselves. It's to invite the Lord in to fill that space exactly. as we empty ourselves of the things of this world. <laughs> so, so we want to pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word became flesh. And dwelt amongst us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O most holy Mother of God. We be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection, the same Christ our Lord. Amen. We ask the angels to join us here. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Plenis Uncele Etera, Gloria Tua Hosanna in Excelsis, Benedictus qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in Excelsis. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So what's going on here in Matthew 17? Well, we have the story of, um, at the beginning of Matthew 17, we had the story of the transfiguration, and then Jesus and his apostles come down, and they find this group of people gathered around this man and his son, his epileptic son. Yep. And the, um, the, the man is asking the apostles to cast out the demon that's causing this, and they can't do it. So then Jesus comes, and, and he casts the demon out, and the apostles are like, well, what, you know, why? Why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't? So in, in verse 20, he says, because of your little faith, for truly, I say to you, if you have faith uh, as of a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. And then the next verse is verse 22. Mm -hmm. I just read verse 20, and that's followed by verse 22. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, where is verse 21? Well, I'm reading, of course, the new revised um, standard edition, Catholic edition, uh, Ignatius Study Bible. And in the footnote here, it says, other ancient authorities insert verse 21. But this kind never comes out except by prayer and fasting. Well, this week on um, LifeSite News, I guess, Terry saw an interview. John Henry Eston did an interview with someone. And they were talking about this. Yep. And they talked about it as if there's some great conspiracy theory here to destroy yeah. the scripture and to um, 
take out the importance of fasting, um, prayer and fasting fasting from our life. And I don't really think that's what's going on here. (laughs) What we have, and what's interesting is, yes, there is a conspiracy to destroy the church. Satan has been on a, as a matter of fact, Satan has been on the rampage to destroy God's plan and mankind ever since God created man, right? He tempted Adam and Eve in the garden to sin, and they did it. So he knows that we're weak and that we're real easy prey, so he tries to get us all the time to turn away from God. But here's the deal. We do not have an autographed copy of Matthew. And so um, in the, in the, when the, you know, the scholars, we actually don't have the original Matthew. We don't have an extent copy of the original Matthew. So when the scholars go through the, 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 the documents that we do have, when they go through the, 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 the transcripts that we have, they look at what's there and what's not there. And so if you have, um, if you have you know, 10 ancient manuscripts to compare and only two of them have the verse, you're thinking, well, maybe a copyist put that in there. So we're going to assume that that's not part of Matthew's gospel. And so they make their best guess. What's interesting now, though, is as they've looked at more and more ancient manuscripts, they're beginning to believe that that verse 21 actually should be there in Matthew. And so um, right now there, there, there's a, uh, a particular um, scripture that's it's, it's a... Um, I think my air conditioner is having problems in here. It's That's making right. funny sounds. I'll have Richard. <laughs> the, uh, um, the, um, that they take that's the, um, Nestle Allen, I believe it's called. And it's, um, it's where the scholars go to look up things. And in Nestle Allen 28, verse 21 is not in Matthew, but they revised Nestle Allen and it, Nestle Allen verse, uh, version 29 is coming out and they've put, back in they put verse 21 back in now in catholic thought many people think well the best my best one is the Douay reams and the latin vulgate well you know it's interesting even the latin vulgate had corruption you know copyists over the years copy the scriptures for us and sometimes mistakes are made and sometimes things are added you know maybe someone was um reading a text and they put commentary in the side sidelines and then someone took that commentary and they put it into the text and in in 1980, Pope John Paul II, St. John Paul II, ordered a new translation of the Vulgate. So the 1980 version of the Vulgate is actually closer to the Jerome version of the Vulgate than, um, than the Douay Reims that we have. So, you know, scripture scholarship is not that easy of a task, for one, and um, there's a lot of careful study and prayer has to go into it. And of course, faith. And we never want to approach scripture with an attitude of doubt. This is what the church teaches us. We approach scripture as it is the word of God. You know, this is truly the word of God. Yes, it's written in human words and God did really use human authors to write his word down. But everything that, you know, men make mistakes. And so, what the church guarantees to be inerrant, which inerrancy applies to the scripture, that without error, are the original texts. And sometimes we don't have the full extent original text, and that's a difficulty. But the church has tried to preserve the best as she can in her human, and of course, with the, whole, the help of the Holy Spirit, 
we have the word of God. We know that the sacred scriptures are the word of God. And we know that they faithfully and firmly teach us the truths that God has revealed. Oh, for the sake of our salvation. Well, you know, everything that God revealed is for the sake of our salvation. That phrase, for the sake of our salvation, is not a limiting phrase. The inerrancy of scripture applies not just to um, the truths of the faith in terms of uh, what theological truths were being were being. Um, try what theological truths were being taught here in this particular scripture. No, the inerrancy appears, uh, appeals also, uh, um, excuse me, applies also to the history. And the, and the reason is in St. Jerome, um, and I don't, I have it here, but can I find it real quick? Um, that St. Jerome, uh, excuse me, St. Pope Leo in his, the inspired books teach the truth since therefore all that is inspired this excuse me since therefore all that the inspired authors or sacred writers affirm should be regarded as affirmed by the holy spirit we must acknowledge that the books of scripture firmly faithfully and without error teach the truth which god for the sake of our salvation wished to confide to the sacred scripture again for the sake of our salvation is not a limiting phrase no everything that's confided to scripture is for the sake of our salvation god is teaching us through everything that's in scripture. And uh, Pope Leo wrote, it is absolutely wrong and forbidden either to narrow inspiration to certain parts only of Holy Scripture or to admit that the sacred writer had erred. So far as it is from being possible that any error can go coexist with inspiration, that inspiration not only is essentially in- incompatible with error, but excludes and rejects it as absolutely and necessarily as it is impossible that God himself, the supreme truth, can utter that which is not true. So when we read scripture, we have to know, well, then wait a minute, why would we not put this in? Well, you know, it's interesting. In the early church, they didn't talk about four gospels. They talked about one gospel that has four aspects. They referred to it as the fourfold gospel, mm. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew was the first written account. It was the first fold of the gospel. Mark was written second. Luke was written third, and John was written later. And in Mark 9, that verse about prayer and fasting is there. So it's not like the prayer and fasting has been excluded from Scripture. Yeah. Just because it's not in, it, even if it weren't in the original Matthew that doesn't mean we can't include it here. And we have to understand, you know, we can look at the Gospels individually because individuals wrote them. And sometimes that's helpful for seeing, you know, what was the author's intent? What, what, was, the, what was his type of writing? You know, what was the audience he was writing to? But we also have to look at the Gospel as an entire whole. And if we start isolating the, the different accounts of the Gospel, and it is four different accounts, but it's the same, the same Gospel. Yeah. And it, it, they all t- tell the truth. But not all of them have the exact same stories. Exactly. If I could just jump in and make a recommendation, Dr. Scott Hahn did a series, Can You Trust the Bible on Inerrancy? Absolutely. It's an eight-hour course. It costs you $1,000 to go to Steubenville to take it, or I'll give it away. You can have it for free by calling 877-526-2151 called Can You Trust the Bible? It's incredibly important that we understand what Mary's telling us regarding the inerrancy of the scripture. If we don't have the Bible as inerrant, we're wasting time. 
That's why it's important to understand. Stay with us, family. We'll be back after a quick moment on the Bible with Mark. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. I want to thank all our listeners, all those who have the app, those who listen on Rumble and uh, Facebook and other social media platforms. Also, thank you, Stations of the Cross. And there are other radio stations that do pick us up. I don't know the names of all of them, but they're smaller ones that... Um, and so thank you. Thank you for carrying our signal and for um, letting people know that Virgin Most Powerful is out there. And we want to we want to promote you as well as you promote us. And thank you. And thank you for all of our benefactors and those yeah. who support us with their prayers and sacrifices. You know, it's it's not just the money, but we do need the money. Obviously, we have to pay the bills. And thank you for that. And But also those who support us finding, uh, spiritually and the volunteers who help us out. So we were talking here at the first uh, section of this program today on uh, where's that missing verse in Matthew, Mm -hmm. Matthew 21. And it's interesting because if you look, look and go ahead and open up your Bible and look. I mean, there is no verse 21 in Matthew. And and, um, if you look at Mark 9, verse 29, it's there. Okay. Now, the interesting thing is sometimes we'll pit the Gospels against each other. And I've seen scholars do this. I've seen professors do this. Oh, obviously, there are contradictions with each other. No, again, as I said in the first section... The, the early church spoke about the fourfold gospel. There is one single gospel. There's one good news of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And it is told by four different authors, Matthew, right. Mark, Luke, and John, in the gospel. If you want to meet Jesus Christ, read the gospels. And yes, you meet the real historical Jesus Christ in the gospels and the Christ of faith. You know, and you meet the Jesus of history and the Christ of faith. He's it, both. He's not He's not two different people. He's not a split personality. There's only one person there, the divine person, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, the Son of God, who became man. And so they, they're told from different aspects. So so the, the verse isn't missing from Scripture. And so it's not missing from the gospel. It's just been missing here in the Gospel of Matthew because scholars were having a hard time verifying if that was authentically part of the original Matthew gospel. And that's fine. You know, this is, it, it's an ongoing work that's a, a struggle. And um, apparently now it's believed that it probably was. And so it's going to be put back in. Um, but we want to go on from there to talk about something else that come up came up this week in terms of a question. And that will bring us to the whole thing about inerrancy and, um, and inspiration in the Good. scripture. And, and also regarding the deposit of faith. What is the deposit of faith? And again, as Terry mentioned at the end of the first section, section of this program, um, we do have a set by Scott Hahn, The Inerrancy of Scripture. And or Can You Trust the Bible right. is the title of, the, of it. Yeah. But he goes into detail and he really gives you an excellent explanation. And so if you call 877-526-2151 and tell him you want the download, it's a download, correct? Yes. The download for um, how can we trust the Bible? Right. And so um, please do get that and listen to it and um, really come to understand and know the word of God. You know, the scriptures are a Catholic book. Amen. <laughs> and that's something we want to talk about in this next section. What happened was this week, I, I, or I don't know, was this actually, I think it was February 28th. I just took a long time to answer the question because I didn't have a lot of time to it's a it's a question that needs a long time to answer. I gave a short answer. One of our listeners asked, he says, since you know, since Jesus quotes from the Old Testament and Jesus is God, does it follow that God quoting God proves the inerrancy of the deposit of faith? 
And and that's kind of what threw me because I've, I've heard of the inerrancy of scripture, but I've never heard inerrancy applied to the deposit of faith. Right now. Okay. What's so what? So what's, what's the difference? Well, sacred scripture is sacred scripture. It's the, and you know, which came first, the Bible or the church? Do we understand and know that without the church, we don't have the Bible. Right. And St. Augustine said, I know that the scriptures are inerrant, and I know that certain books belong in the Bible because the church told me so. Mm-hmm. It's the church. Jesus Christ founded one church, okay? And, and he, he called his apostles together, and he gave to his apostles the truths that he wanted them to pass on to us, which is the truth about the fact that God made us for union with himself. He made us for friendship with himself, intimate communion with himself, and that we sinned. And since we sinned, we were enemies of God, but he didn't want to leave us that way. And since man had commit an offense against God, it was an infinite offense. God loves us. When Adam sinned, he turned his back on the love of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the, in the book of Genesis, it says, let us make man in our image. We know from the beginning that God is a community of love and life, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But it's not until his son becomes man that this is fully revealed. It's hinted at in the Old Testament, but we don't understand. And the Jews didn't understand either because God had to be insistent that God is one. There's only one, because why? Because all the pagans worship many gods. And if God had revealed himself as three, his people would have just, oh, well, we have three gods. So the pagans have, no, we just have three. No, 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 no. There's only one God. (laughs) In God, there are three divine persons. And so not until we know that God is a son, do we know that God is a father. And it is Jesus, the second person of the Blessed Trinity became man. He took to himself a human nature. And that human nature his name was Jesus and he is the Christ. He's the Christos, the anointed one. And, but he is the son of God made man. And he is the fullness of the revelation of the father. Everything that God wanted us to reveal, he, he revealed in Jesus Christ. And so what is this sacred deposit of faith? So, it, and I just briefly in the catechism, I want Mary, to, can I just jump in before yes. you do the deposit of faith? Cause you were talking it's about, um, you know, the Trinity in one sense. And I wanted to just clarify something from a catechism that Bishop Strickland has been published through the St. Um, Philip Institute. And I love the way it explains something regarding uh, <clears throat> the incarnation and the three divine persons. I just think it's so good to always review that. That first, Jesus is a divine person with a divine nature because he is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, and as the second person of the Trinity, Jesus always existed and has had all the attributes of God. This is important to understand a Trinitarian life. And secondly, Jesus is really human and possesses a human nature because he was born of the Virgin Mary. He is fully human, but he lacks sin. Third, Jesus has two natures, divine and human, are united to the second person of the Trinity Jesus' natures are not blended together, but he is fully divine and fully human. One divine person, God the Son, acts in the two natures. You see how clear this is? This is why clarity is so beautiful. Since the incarnation, 
Jesus has been always will be both God and man. I just wanted to clarify that Trinitarian teaching of the church. And now I turn it right back over to you, my love. Thank you. So on, on inerrancy in the, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church in the glossary, and you know, it, it just, just, a, yes, it's so important to get the clarity of yes. that because people will say this, they'll say things like, well, you know, um, Jesus was a human person. They're speaking about Jesus, and they, they say, no, he wasn't a human person. Exactly. He was a divine person with a human nature. Thank you. That's the and, clarification. And it is important. It is. We get that right. Yep. So inerrancy, the attribute of the books of Scripture, whereby they faithfully and without error teach that truth which God, for the sake of our salvation, wished to confide through the sacred Scripture. And again, for the sake of our salvation is not a limiting phrase. Nope. It is... It means everything that is in the scriptures is for the sake of our salvation. Um, Paragraph 107 in the Catechism. The inspired books teach the truths. Since, therefore, all that is inspired. Excuse me, I do this. Since, therefore, all that the inspired authors or sacred writers affirm should be regarded as affirmed by the Holy Spirit, we must acknowledge that the books of Scripture firmly, faithfully, and without error teach that truth which God, for the sake of our salvation, wished to confide to sacred Scripture. And I had read that a little bit earlier. And then we have um, the whole idea of the deposit of faith. So what is the deposit of faith? Well, isn't Scripture the deposit of faith? Isn't that it? That we just need Scripture? No, actually, we, that's not it. That's not it. The deposit of faith... The heritage of faith contained in sacred scripture and tradition. There are two. There are two. Yes. Handed on in the church from the time of the apostles, from which the magisterium, the magisterium, the teaching office, yep. that is the pope and the bishops in union with him, mm-hmm. draws all that it proposes for belief yeah. as being divinely revealed. Mm-hmm. And in paragraph 84 of the catechism, it says, the apostles entrusted the sacred deposit of the faith contained in sacred scripture and tradition to the whole church. By adhering to this heritage, the entire holy people united to its pastors remains always faithful to the teaching of the apostles, to the brotherhood, to the breaking of the bread and prayers. So in maintaining, practicing, and professing the faith that has been handed on, there should be a remarkable harmony between the bishops and the faithful. That we, we, There should be this remarkable harmony because we all believe the same thing. We all hold to the same thing. Exactly. So th- the deposit of faith includes this oral tradition. Well, do we have anything in Scripture that talks about an oral tradition? Oh, I don't know. Maybe a couple verses. Let's see here. Um, <laughs> 2 Thessalonians 2.15, hold fast to what I have handed on to you, whether by word of mouth or in writing. And then um, in 1 Corinthians 11.2, 1 Corinthians 11.2, and Paul writes this. He says, I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I have delivered them to you. And then in John 21, 25, we have a hint as to why there may have been an oral tradition and not just a written tradition. There are also many things which Jesus did, were every one of them written, mm-hmm. 
I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that were written, would be written. Oh, what, what hyperbole, right? Well, wait a minute. For 2,000 years, people have been trying to explain everything Jesus did. And there are libraries full of those books, and they're still writing. Yep, that's right. <laughs> it's just like that. Can we figure out whether Matthew 21, verse, Matthew 17, verse 21, is supposed to be actually part of Matthew's gospel, or is it not part of Matthew's gospel? Right. <laughs> you, know? Um, you know, but yes, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus did say it, because it's also in the, the, the aspect of the gospel is told by Mark. So yeah, it was definitely there. Um, and then in John 20, verse 30, he said, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, in, in, the, in the aspect of the gospel written by John. Um, but these are written so that you might believe. But, but remember, John's gospel is very different from the three first gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are called synoptic because they're very similar. But what's interesting is John already knew about Matthew, Mark, and Luke by the time he sat down, was inspired by the Holy Spirit to sit down and write his gospel. And he was inspired to write those things that hadn't been talked about yet. And, and again, he can't talk about everything. No. You couldn't pass, like he said, the world couldn't contain the books if we wrote about everything. So we're coming up against a break here, and we want to continue here. I want to give you some more scripture passages and the teachings of the church in regards to inerrancy and uh, tradition and how important this is to our faith. Wow, we'll be back. I, I love it. Don't go away. <laughs> and please tell your family and friends to join us. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, March the 10th, 2023. Um, so we're talking today about different questions in Scripture. We talked about the missing verse in Matthew 17. Matthew 17, 21 is missing in action. So um, there's some great conspiracy about and afoot, some th people think, to destroy the Scriptures. And yet Matthew, uh, that verse that would would be there is actually in Mark 9, 29. So it's not missing from the gospel because the gospel is a single entity with four aspects. So don't pit the gospels against one another. Don't say, oh, Matthew didn't know about Mark or he didn't agree with Mark or Mark didn't agree with Matthew or, or Luke and Mark, blah, 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 blah. you know, and, and John, he's just totally out there somewhere, you know, up there in ethereal and he's not even rooted in, in reality or, or earthly things, although he talks about earthly things, you know, life and death. Um, fire and water, uh, light and darkness. Um, and, he, and he gives you times of days and he, he tells you that it was day or it was night or it was um, the third day or uh, he's very rooted in a funny thing, John, you know, this, this um, anyway, I'm, I'm being facetious here because of things I heard when I was studying scripture and things that were comments that were made by different authors and, and professors. And the deal is, is that Divine revelation is God revealing himself to us. God made us for union with himself. And he desires us to live in union with him in friendship, in intimate friendship with him. And Adam and Eve had that and they sinned and they lost it. And so we all have to struggle against the concupiscence that has resulted. And our, our intellects are darkened, our wills are weakened. And so we tend to um, not get things right and 
uh, we also have a body that has faculties that war against our soul. Our soul was made for God, for union with God. And um, our soul has two faculties, the intellect and will. And the body has all kinds of faculties. And every one of those faculties cry out for its own favorite food, independent of the good of the whole. So we need to remember why we were made, by whom we were made, and that if God made us for union with himself, does it not behoove him to reveal himself to us so that we can know him? And he did. He revealed himself to Adam. But Adam sinned. And so he interrupted that relationship. And God promised a savior. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He said to the serpent, the devil, it will strike at your head while you strike at its heel. He promised a savior and that savior is Jesus Christ. And he comes to communicate, not just data, not just information. He comes to communicate his life and his love to us. God is a community of persons in love and life. The first family, as John Paul II said, because in the, in the Trinity there is the Father, the es- there is the Son, and the essence of the family, which is love, that God is a community of love and life. He's not a solitude unto himself. And so he reveals himself. And this revelation is made to us fully in his Son. His son becomes man. The second person of the blessed Trinity becomes man. And so all of revelation is Christocentric. God reveals his life to us. And and in Ephesians, we read that, um, for he has made known to us in all wisdom and insight, the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth, Ephesians 1, 9. And by the way, Father Glenn Botton is doing a Bible study on Thursday nights on the letter to the Ephesians. And you're welcome to join us. He'll celebrate Holy Mass at 7 p.m. every Thursday night until we finish the book of Ephesians. And then he's giving, trying to do a chapter of the Ephesians, chapter of um, the book of Ephesians every week. So we have this reality. And then in 1 John 1, 1 through 3, it says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we saw it and testified to it and proclaimed to you eternal life, which is with the Father and was made manifest to us that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And that's in the Holy Spirit. And so John is telling us there in his first letter, we're witnesses to this. And by the way, these witnesses gave their lives to witness to these truths. Okay, if it was just a big sham or a big... um, uh, if they were trying to deceive people and, and just gain money or power or influence over people, they would not have given their lives for it. No, they gave their lives. This is the greatest testimony that this is true. What they wrote was true. And then in Second Peter 1, 2, and 4, we have, 
May the grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that petition to life and godliness, that pertain, excuse me, pertain to life and godliness. Okay, um, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted uh, to us his precious and very great promise that through these may you may escape from corruption that is in the world because of passion and become partakers of the divine nature. St. Peter said we actually partake of the divine nature through our union with Jesus Christ. And this comes to us through the sacraments. Jesus established a church. And yes, he established a church and he established an authority. He set Peter and the apostles to preach the gospel. And they were to preach it faithfully. And they did. And they died for it. They went to their deaths to witness to the gospel. And there are many, many other, um, you know, in, in Dei Verbum, which is a document from the Second Vatican Council, it reads, In his goodness and wisdom, God chose to reveal himself, to make known to us his hidden, the hidden purpose of his will, and that was Ephesians 1.9, which I just read to you, by which through Christ, the word made flesh, man might in the Holy Spirit have access to the Father and come to share in the divine nature. See Ephesians 2, 18, and then 2 Peter 1, 4, which I just read to you. Through this revelation, therefore, the invisible God, the invisible God, see Colossians 1, 15 and 1 Timothy 1, 17, out of the abundance of his love speaks to men as friends. See Exodus 3, 11 and John 15, 14 and 15, and lives among them. See the Baruch 3.38, so that he may invite and take them into fellowship with himself. Through divine revelation, God chose to show forth and communicate himself and the eternal decision of his will regarding the salvation of man. This is the eternal decision of God's holy will, our salvation. And yes, the scriptures testify to that, as does sacred tradition. And the scriptures are inerrant. God is the author of scripture. We, this is what the church teaches. I know that the Holy Spirit is the author of scripture because the church teaches me so. So the revelation that God gives us, is it, it's centered in, in his son who becomes man. Jesus Christ, Jesus, the son of Mary, Jesus of Nazareth, Christos, the anointed one. He is the anointed of God. The plan of revelation is realized by the deeds and words having inner unity. The plan of revelation is realized by deeds and words having inner unity. The deeds wrought by God in the history of salvation manifest and confirm the teaching and reality signified by the words while the words proclaim the deeds and clarify the mystery contained in them. So 
Jesus comes, he speaks to us, and the scriptures speak to us, and God works not only in the New Testament, he worked in the Old Testament. You know, Moses worked miracles, the, the prophets spoke for the word of God, spoke the word of God to us. So we have this whole divine revelation going on, not just in the New Testament, but all through the Old Testament. When man sinned, God continued to, in every age, God continued to reveal his plan through his prophets and those he sent, okay? So we have in scripture, you have the literal historical sense of scripture and all other senses of scripture are based on that. And the author of Holy Writ is God himself in whose power it is to signify his meaning, not by words only, but also by things themselves. So whereas in every other science, things are signified by words, This science has the property that things signified by the words have themselves also signification. So the temple signifies the body of Christ. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again, Jesus said in the gospel. He's not talking about the temple building, but the temple building represented him. And that was from Thomas Aquinas' Summa Theologia. So we have this reality of God's revelation. And God's revelation isn't contained solely in Scripture. Remember, God's revelation, the Word of God, is first and foremost a person. The second person of the Blessed Trinity. In the beginning was the Word, it says in the Gospel of John. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And all things came to be through him. And apart from him, nothing came to be that was made. And later on in the beginning of the prologue of John's gospel, it said, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the word of God is first and foremost a person, the second person of the blessed Trinity, the son of God. So here we are again, up against a break. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. I think this is exciting stuff. We need to know that the sacred scripture is our sacred error, but so is sacred tradition. So don't go away. We'll be back with more on Bible with the Barbers. Tell your friends and friends to join us. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, March the 10th, 2023. Um, Thank you for all the radio stations that pick us up. Our benefactors, thank you for your support. Thank you for those who pray and sacrifice for us, our volunteers who help us. And all of those who work with us, by the way, our engineer and our office staff, thank you guys. You, you do a lot of, you know, people don't see what you do, but you work hard to keep this apostolate going, and we really appreciate that. And, and um, we want to thank you all. And we want to, uh, we're, we're talking today about certain questions about Scripture again. Um, the first one had to do with the missing verse in Matthew. Um, is this a conspiracy to just uh, destroy, the script, destroy the Scriptures or to say we don't need to fast and pray? And... Um, and I don't think so because it's actually in Mark and there's only one gospel, although there are four aspects of that one gospel. They're told, it's told by four different authors. So, but you have to put them all together and see them as an entire whole. Um, but then we have um, the fulfillment, we have the sacred tradition and sacred scripture that um, scripture is part of tradition, but it's not all of tradition. It's not all of the deposit of faith. It's sacred tradition and sacred scripture make up the deposit of faith. 
And so the deposit of faith, yes, sacred scripture is part of it, but so is sacred tradition. Okay, so we have um, Christ, this, this, this revelation of God, which is what the deposit of faith is, the revelation of God, is Christocentric. And what did Jesus say in Matthew 5, 17 through 20? He says, think not that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill them. In Matthew eleven thirteen, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. Jesus is talking again that he's fulfilling everything that was prophesied. Matthew 26, 52 through 56. This is in the garden um, of Gethsemane on Holy Thursday. Then Jesus said to Peter, to him, put your sword back into its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? that it must be so. As at that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scripture and the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him. So Jesus has come to fulfill everything that was foretold about him. And in Hebrews, we have Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. In many and various ways, God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he also created the world. So the son has come and God has spoken to us through his son. And in regards to scripture and tradition, okay, so we have the traditions of men, but we have traditions come to us from God. And Jesus, remember in the Gospels, he reprimands the Pharisees because, remember they said, if you say something is korban that is dedicated to the temple, then you don't have to support your parents. Well, he's, what Jesus says there is, wait a minute, the fourth commandment says, honor your father and your mother. And now you're saying that if someone takes their money and says, oh, it's Korban, dedicated to the temple, which didn't mean they had to give it to the temple right then. It just meant that they could use it any way they want. And in the end, they, that, then they don't have to take care of their parents. So you're negating God's law to replace it with human law. But nonetheless, he confirms that the Pharisees, even though they do this, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe what they tell you but do not do what they do, for they preach and do not practice. Matthew 23, 2. So although they have distorted God's law and replaced certain parts of God's law with man's law, and he talks about that in the gospel, nonetheless, Jesus confirms that they have authority because they sit on Moses' seats. So in the New Testament, what do we have? We have Jesus giving his authority to the apostles, okay? Full authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me by my Father. Go, therefore, and preach the gospel to all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And know that I am with you always until the close of the age. So Jesus has, has come 
and he has established his church. And again, we would not have sacred scripture were it not for the fathers of the church, the bishops, the Holy Father and the bishops in union with him. There was not a set canon of scripture until 393 and 394 AD at the councils of Carthage and Hippo. I believe it was the second second council of Carthage and, and Hippo. And then in 419, again, at a council in Carthage, where the canon of scripture was set down. What books are, and there was, a, there was discussion. You can go back and read the fathers of the church and see. There was discussion about what books should be part of scripture. What books are actually inspired and inerrant? And how do we know that? Because the Holy Spirit inspired the Holy Father and the bishops in union with him to know the authority that Jesus established. Jesus is the head of his church. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. Jesus is the head. And he rules through the men that he appointed. But he only established one church. And so we are to be evangelizers to the world. And we have the fullness of faith that Jesus Christ left. He gave us the sacraments as means of grace. And so we wouldn't have sacred scripture at all, except that the church told us which books of the Old and New Testament. The Jews didn't have a canon. The Jews didn't have a fixed canon of scripture. And it wasn't until the bishops and the Holy Father and the bishops of the Catholic Church established a canon. Now that canon was codified at the Council of Trent, but that's not when it was first set down. It was first set down in 393 and 394, and then again in 419 at the councils of Second Carthage, Hippo, and Carthage. All right? But in, it had to be codified at the Council of Trent, set in stone, as it were. The, the church had to proclaim it, <clears throat> that this cannot change, because there was rebellion against the church, and there were those who wanted to reject parts of Scripture. And if you look up, I believe it's called the Augsburg's Dialogue, where the Catholic theologians met with the revolting Protestants, those who were protesting against the church, to debate their theology or their theological positions. And what's interesting is it's not the Protestants who are using Scripture to support their positions. It's the Catholics. And these are things, you know, history. Do we know our history? Uh, you know, as many former Protestants have discovered, history is on the side of the Catholic Church. Jesus Christ only founded one church, and he gave the church's authority. And we wouldn't have a sacred deposit of faith except that Christ gave that, and he entrusted it to the authority of the church. And we wouldn't have the knowledge that scripture is inerrant and inspired by the Holy Spirit, except that the church defined that for us. And it's because God, Jesus is the head of his church and he speaks to us. The Holy Spirit is the soul of the church, the life principle of the church. And the Holy Spirit works through the Holy Father and, and the bishops. And I know many people today are saying, well, wait a minute, because your current Holy Father seems to be at odds with um, the teachings of the church. And I can't argue that point and I can't answer for the Holy Father, but I can say this, the Holy Father, the present, the current Holy Father 
and I maybe, you know, this is kind of going out on a limb here, but this is just Mary Danielle Barber, you know, her, her understanding. And you can correct me, please. And especially if there are any priests out there or, or theologians who are listening who know better than I, but the current Holy Father has said he doesn't intend to speak as the vicar of Christ. He doesn't intend to be the one who is teaching the universal church in a universal manner. So I don't know where that leaves us. That doesn't mean we don't have a pope. We do have a pope. And Jesus Christ is still in charge of his church. But St. John Eudes wrote years ago that the greatest punishment that God could inflict upon his people when he's not happy with them, when they've sinned, is to give them a clergy um, rulers in the church, bishops and, and popes, who don't teach the, the faith, who um, tickle their ears, as it were. There will come a time when men will no longer tolerate sound doctrine, but will surround themselves with teachers who tickle their ears. So um, we need to pray. We need to pray mightily for the church. The church is a visible reality that lives in this world, and God works with sinful men, and men sin, and they do make mistakes, but God's truth isn't compromised. And not even the Holy Father, the Holy Father is not above the scriptures. He is supposed to safe, faithfully safeguard and pass on the sacred deposit of faith that was given. And this is the role of the bishops and the Holy Father. They aren't there to change it. It's not, you know, some, I guess some cardinals recently have said, well, you know, that's, yes, the scripture says that, but we know the scriptures are wrong because we've evolved. No, honey, we haven't evolved. We've become sinful and we're rebelling against God and God will punish us by taking away the gifts that he has given and he will give them to another people who will be faithful and will give him his, his um, fruits at vintage. So I hope that I've answered the questions um, in terms of Matthew seventeen twenty one. The verse isn't missing from scripture, so it's there. The question is, the scholars can't figure out whether it was actually part of the original Matthew. And again, we don't have an autographed copy of Matthew. We don't have the original Matthew. So it, it, it's their best guess. And in their best guess, they're actually putting that verse back in. So, but, but it doesn't mean that we aren't supposed to fast and pray that it's because it's not said in Matthew's gospel, because it's said elsewhere in the gospels. In the gospels, we talk about four gospels, but it's not. It's one gospel that has four aspects. Um, in regards to um, sacred tradition and the deposit of faith, um, the deposit of faith is given to us by Christ and it is passed on faithfully by the church, has been passed on. Read the documents of the church, the writings of the fathers and, and scripture because scripture is part of that sacred tradition. Scripture has been defined as inerrant and has the Holy Spirit as its authors. And so, um, but the deposit of faith is bigger than just scripture. So I, I hope I answered that question. We had an app listener who was wondering about that. Um, just because Jesus quoted from Scripture, that doesn't necessarily mean that the Scripture is inerrant. Or We know it because the church defined it. That's how the fathers of the church taught us. And we wouldn't have the Scripture if the church hadn't given it to us. So thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you to the radio stations that pick us up and to all the people who listen. Please tell your family, your friends, Spread the word. Let them know. And uh, Father Glenn is having a Bible study on the book of Ephesians on Thursday nights here at the chapel in Covina. So join us at 7 p.m. on Thursday nights for a Bible study on Ephesians. And hopefully I'll be speaking to you again next week on Bible with the Bible. Virtual Most Powerful Radio.